As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, TIFO listeners. I'm Ian McIntosh, host of the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. What do you mean you've never heard of it? Oh, you should give it a go. It's scientifically proven to make you better at football manager. Uh, You know, don't quote me on the science bit. Anyway, if you have heard of it and you're missing it, I've got good news. On May the 25th, we'll be putting on a football manager masterclass. It's a sort of super pod, if you will. Tom Davidson from Sports Interactive will be in the studio with the ultimate guide to getting better at this bastard child of Skynet that masquerades as a video game. We've got Alex McLeish in the studio as well. He's going to teach real-life lessons that can help you in the game. And remember, this man played for Alex Ferguson and went on to win a major trophy with Birmingham City. And by the way, if um, you're under the impression that Alex is a dour, moody Scotsman, you could not be more wrong. He was our first ever guest on the Totally Football League show, and he's absolutely lovely. Kind of want him to be my real-life football friend, but uh, let's keep that to ourselves. Don't want to scare him off. Anyway, I'm babbling away. Haven't told you the best bit. The best bit is that one ticket holder will win the chance to play Alex McLeish in a live-streamed game of Football Manager 2021 for actual prizes. Actual prizes. What's the prize? Only a bloody Nintendo Switch. What do you get if you lose? Nothing. Because this is like Football Manager Gladiators with fewer lions. Anyway, we've got loads of other prizes, books, all sorts. So, if you want to come along, it's £7. £7, that's the price of a pint if you go to the wrong pub in London. £7, and you can get that ticket by visiting link.dice.fm forward slash masterclass. That's link.dice.fm forward slash masterclass. I'll see you there. Welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Me again, sorry. I did speak to Joe this morning, but he came back from holiday very late last night, missed all the football, and there's also some very, very loud drilling happening outside the office in his new house, uh, and he is not happy about it and in no fit state to record. It's me and JJ again. Hello, JJ. Hello. It's me. It is you. Yes. What did you and I talk about today? Uh, we talked about loads of stuff. We talked about um, Lester Casper Schmeichel's punching ability and how it relates to video games. We talked about um, Chelsea a little bit. We talked about Frank Lampard. Now, not related to Chelsea, but what on earth he's going to do next. We 
did a lot of talk about how you change culture within a club. That was very um, interesting, that bit. I thought that was cool. Well, that's good. I'm glad you liked that because it was mostly me talking. And then we did uh, it was a bit in Scotland and Callum Davidson, who you may have seen slides. Well, we talked about that, actually. And then uh, we uh, talked about forest for a little bit. I was thinking about the forests. And I think I did some of my cliches again. I tell you what, that, that, that recap, it's a high-pressure moment in the podcast. Like when someone says, oh, what did we talk about today? And all of a sudden, oh, I just can't remember. And like you're on the spot and you're, you're, you're trying to think of, of how we spent the last hour. Like I always panic when Joe does that. So I was kind of just inflicting on you. And unfortunately, you did very well with it. That was oh, very Thanks, because I always have the notes open. You do indeed. Okay, so uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out, um, we will uh, be in England squad announcement territory. And if you want to read about all the goings on there and the controversies and the disappointments and all that kind of stuff, Get yourself along to The Athletic where there is a really good deal available for you. It's um, first month is free and then £4.99 a month thereafter. And if you want to take advantage of that, go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. week saying lots of very very nice things about Casper Schmeichel so for balance and even out the universe let's begin this podcast by slagging him off a little bit JJ his own goal against Tottenham reminded you of what uh, whenever I die in Call of Duty Warzone and it is my fault but I blame lag my teammates anything else uh, the game is jipping me essentially what he's doing he clearly punched that into his own net and then turns to look at everyone else like, uh <laughs> Also, there's no foul. There's just no foul. There's no... Uh, absolutely. I feel like it's it's almost a goalkeeping specialty, though, isn't it? It's because, like, in the first instance, you have to react very, very quickly, and you have to be very loud and look very angry and make a lot of gestures with your hands. And then whilst you're doing that, you've got a kind of multitask, a rationalisation of what's happened. It's It's difficult. It's so complicated. Like, have you got to punch that ball knowing there's loads of massive dudes in the same box as you who are really physically strong? Yeah. And some of them are going to be trying to block you as well. And you've got to pay attention to that, work work out if someone's next to you. You can't even be 100% sure it's the right option you're taking every single time. But you can't just flap at it, although that would have been the best option there. But yeah, it's easier to do it in hindsight. What a shame that happens in this last game of the season. And the weird thing about this is that you say, oh, well, they, they basically they spursed it in the very last part of the the season but really you'd say it's the you know with dropping points against Newcastle is what's ended their um, Champions League hopes early it's a shame that it feels a bit down now after winning the FA Cup as well you can't blame Schmeichel for all that you know these things happen I felt as if no you can't blame Schmeichel for all that and I I thought Tottenham played quite well more importantly though uh, it seemed like from about 70 minutes on as if Leicester were just knackered absolutely knackered and there was just they they never really seemed like they were going to score again. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the second Jamie Vardy incident because I saw it live and got quite angry about it in a sort of detached, I hate um, the PGMOL and the referee and Mike Riley and VAR in that, in that kind of way. And then I looked at it again just before I went to bed, just after I finished doing our pod notes. And for those who haven't seen it, so Jamie Vardy runs across Davidson Sanchez Davison Sanchez is running in a straight line. Uh, 
doesn't alter his position or his uh, his arms in any way when Vardy comes across him. Vardy kind of sticks his hand in um, in between his his shoulder and his arm, like you would you know poke a stick between the spokes of a bike like that, and then Jamie Vardy kind of throws himself over. And it's it's like if that had happened in professional wrestling. You'd be like, that's just great. That's just wonderful timing. Well done. Excellent choreography. Fantastic. And also, if this was a pre-VAR era, you'd say, yeah, I can understand why, why a referee gave a penalty for that. But to go over to... This, how does that how does that get given? I, Talk me down, JJ. Because I, I just still don't understand this. He's so, so devious. He is the most weaselly of all the strikers, Jamie Vardy. Does, has done it. I mean, for seasons now, what he does is runs across the defender and throws his legs out so they catch him to bring him down. Yeah, that's a really great trick. Um, but this one here, yeah, so that exactly as you described, it's a little bit like those videos on YouTube when like a skateboarder catches onto a car to let them take it fast and then they jump off and go really yeah. quick. Yeah, basically what he's doing. I don't see how we can do it either. I don't think the first one's even a penalty. I think I don't think that well, contact takes one? him down. Yeah, I don't think that takes him down. I think he feels it and goes down. There's a few examples of this this weekend. I think Richarlison was at it. There's a, mm. in the Everton game. There's just a few things, that, um, uh, a few examples of players going down. In fact, the uh, Traore Aston Villa went down really easily. But it's that classic example of you don't go down, you don't get the foul. But it's also because it's not a foul. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what perplexes me though is like you. You're right. Vardy Vardy has a habit of this. He's he's kind of this generation's Andy Johnson. Do you remember hit the amount of penalties he used to win at Palace, um, and then then later at Everton, like he he has his little tactics and he he has his ways of manufacturing contact and um, or penalties. But if you're a referee, like we we hear about, we actually did a video about this on on the on the TFO channel, and we hear about the extensive reviews and you know how referees are graded. Like if you're if you're a referee and you've you've um, you've given a penalty for one of these instances, you're sitting in your review room on a Monday. And, you know, your assessor's saying, well, you know, that's a bit shit because look what he's doing there. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, my bad. And then maybe a few weeks later, you know, the next time you referee the same player, it happens again. The assessor might say to you, well, do you not, did you not remember what we talked about? You know, are you not watching out for this stuff? When it happens over many, many years, what's the excuse? Like, what's the excuse for not, I mean, not not giving it necessarily because you can't always say, well, that's not a penalty because, you know, this player goes to ground easily, therefore he is never fouled. I'm not suggesting that. But how do you not go over to the screen and think, oh, yeah, I can see that? Because everybody in the country saw the replay and, and saw what, what happened. It just, it's it's illogical in a way that really troubles me. More more than the result, more than conceding <laughs> the goal or the penalty. It's like the, it's the flaw in the thinking, which I find really difficult to accept. I know what you mean. It's kind of... It's like if they're deciding the rules, but it doesn't reflect what everyone who plays football would. Because you you know, like if you're running and playing football and you get a little leg at you, it doesn't make you fall over. So you no. you know when it's um someone's trying to buy the foul, but then these referees are either going with a law that says, well, we have to determine what contact is. No matter if it's gonna, like, they don't have to bring in like <laughs> Newton's law or anything like that, and, <laughs> and try and really ascertain whether this certain part of the the shin is enough to make you fall down. But then that's how they're deciding it because there is contact there, and then he's gone down. That must be what qualifies. Is that it's the same thing almost as 
handball and it's why like i said before i kind of i think var could be good um but the modern application of laws that require split second opinion based decision is odd because now you're looking at var and that must it must be that he's given the foul based on technically what it that it should be that is that you, you know you know what i mean it's not like maybe he doesn't yeah. even think it is but technically it has to be so he has to go with it Ugh. But we, this is the thing. This is the problem, though, isn't it? Because like we should not probably be having this conversation on Monday. Like it shouldn't be that complicated. Let's move on. I just I can't. I, it, my brain can't process this because it's just it's it's too stupid. It's just um, anyway. Right. So um, Chelsea, Leicester, Liverpool have a big old kerfuffle for the Champions League spots. Chelsea and Liverpool get over the line. Chelsea a little bit lucky though because um, they were bad, 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 bad at Villa Park. Um, and post the event, they also came up with one of the crappiest, weakest excuses for being bad I've ever seen, which was um, reported breathlessly by the Daily Mail that on entering Villa Park, they were actually held up for 15 minutes because stewards who might have been clearing them a parking space were actually caught eating ice cream in capital letters. Can you better that as a kind of um, justification for defeat, JJ? There must be something in Scotland that's worse than that. Oh, almost certainly. Um, I, uh, yeah, there'll be loads. It gets quite petty, but it's that's part of what makes Scottish football really entertaining is that's the sort of thing that you just kind of get used to. Very odd that Chelsea then do it. It seems a bit... Yeah. I, I don't know how... Uh, not to doubt the authenticity of that particular piece, but sometimes I wonder of certain stories that appear in said story and whether they have been slightly sensationalised. However, yeah, Chelsea kind of lucky. And I think... I don't know, it felt like... Certainly, as a neutral, I wanted Leicester to do it because they've been there for so long, and it's just nice to have a bit of change. You know, I think that's kind of yeah. There's something about them that reminds me a little bit of like the old Newcastle teams or something like that you want them to do well. But Chelsea get it done even though they lose. I, I wonder. This is the sort of thing I'm thinking about. Tuchel's Chelsea is that I wonder how much of his um, style of play really, really relies on intensity and. Um, constant momentum and players always having this big drive to play as like hard and fast and perfect as they possibly can each time and if they drop the levels you can beat them it's sort of almost a bit like uh i suppose jürgen klopp's a good example like if they're not playing at the right intensity it just doesn't work and you see it with chelsea when they're slow and predictable do you mean in the sense that if you drop the intensity it's all of a sudden the flaws kind of start to reveal themselves yeah absolutely and the as soon as teams can get at them, because I mean, a lot of the games have been quite boring to watch. They've been really in- exciting the last f- few weeks, um, and and I think the performance against Leicester in the league after the FA Cup was. We spoke about this last week. I yeah. thought they, they were brilliant, but then that's followed up with <laughs> this now against yeah, Aston Villa. Th- this is this is weird because we talked about this a couple of days ago, which was they seem to, according to Antonio Rudiger, they motivated themselves on the back of. Daniel Amati's shocking disrespect in the Wembley changing room, and that was kind of this this fire that that lit the Chelsea boiler. Yet Champions League place on the line. Yeah, phone it in, lads. Just don't worry about <laughs> it too much. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not quite done with this ice cream thing because um, something occurred to me. Like I just thought you're on the coach and you're outside Villa Park, which uh, has a sort of a, a very big kind of parking area and a very beautiful ground villa park if people haven't had the chance to go but you're there and you're on the coach and you've got an important premier league game and you want to get to your parking space but it isn't being cleared and you've spotted 
stewards eating ice cream. Like, surely the thing you do before phoning the Daily Mail to complain about it is to just say, can you put down the ice cream and help us quickly? Or did, did was there a kind of a, 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 like a, a Chelsea envoy who was sent to to do that and was he just told to fuck off? <laughs> I don't, like I, I need to know a little bit more about the process. This doesn't, also doesn't, like it's it's another kind of um, Vardy penalty conundrum. It doesn't make sense. Like Maybe it's, it's like a, um, similar to how I have used my analogy of dying at war zone and blaming people who aren't myself. Perhaps yeah. Thomas Tuchel or whoever's at Chelsea's done this is doing the same sort of thing where even though they've lost and it's their own fault um it's got to be the lag basically they were gypped uh it didn't go the way they thought it would and so they have to find some excuses they're sitting you know on the coach on the way back and says but says as bilicueta is kind of moaning about something like that and that's the kind of reason why yeah maybe maybe classic deflection as well like the kind of thing that sir alex would do back in the day maybe no, I feel like it needs to step up a few levels. I think there needs to be a bit more conspiracy in it. I think they're also... <laughs> the problem with this is that faceless stewards eating ice cream, that's, they're quite innocent as a target. Like it's a, it's a, you know, summer's day, basically, end of the season, ice cream, fine. Um, I don't have that much of a problem with it. Like if the if they were delayed because someone spotted them interfering with the coach's petrol tank, I feel like that's a, that's more... Mourinho-ish, maybe. Like, I think you need to try harder if you want to, you know, construct yeah. a um, a proper grievance. I like the idea that it's turning into wacky races where someone's cutting the brakes or something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But... Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. <laughs> My pod with David Ornstein will become the Athletics England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight euros elsewhere michael cox's zonal marking pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games while adam hurry's football cliche show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines so as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. No conspiracy at Man City. They absolutely battered Everton. Um, let's start with Everton because I... I'm really disappointed with Everton. Mm. Like I, I, I tweeted this out a couple of days ago. I just think there are too many good players for them to be not this bad, but this bad in this way so often. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, on a similar note, I think the same thing you're saying for me is that they're they're just really medium. Yeah. They they yeah. don't have like they've got all. If they were in FIFA, all the players are rated like eighty one. There's no, there's not like eighty sevens, do you know? And you need those yeah, 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 to be able yeah, to get yeah. to the next level. I don't know. I, I often think about this because clearly Carlo Ancelotti is one of the greatest managers probably of all time for the things yeah. he's achieved. So you can't possibly think you need to change him. <laughs> no, surely. But then what? What have you got? So you can look for the team. Like Jordan Pickford is really medium. I think Ben yeah. Goffrey, all right. Michael Keane. Will be a good player, not quite more than average at the moment. Ben Godfrey, exactly. He's never going to yeah. get, yeah, he's never going to be changed the world. Look at Dina, fine, but didn't cut it at the top teams. Um, Mason Holgate, not for me. Fine. Yeah, Dekure, really good, but also... I like Dekure. Yeah, I like him too, but also, uh, sometimes he's, uh, this is the thing, like, sometimes he's great and he does everything like, what a midfielder, that's who Man United should be saying, that's the kind of player that they should have. And then he does nothing. Alan, I really like a lot. Gilfie Sigerson's quite a good example of it. Doesn't quite do the hard work that you need. And maybe... <laughs> remember going back to the mentality of teams as we are talking about the other podcast. Is that they don't have enough players don't who want, want it. Enough. Don't want it enough. <laughs> just full of players that just don't care enough. Uh, is that your analysis? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is it changes um, systems so often. And that's not a bad thing because you have to try and find out what your best team is. But... It might even be as basic as they lack pace. That might be what they what they don't have. Richarlison's quick, um, but I'd say he's better at driving through the middle rather than out wide. And so they're relying a lot. They, they played, it's like a diamond that they played in this game. I mean, I think this is a bit of an anomaly because City were always going to destroy them regardless of what happened. But yeah, I, I can't blame Ancelotti for anything. And also, I love Ancelotti. But there's something about that Everton team that's very beatable. I don't think there's any fear of playing Everton whatsoever. I think more so than any other team I've watched in England over the last sort of ten years. Like Everton, when I when I see a certain type of Everton fixture on the fixture list, I know exactly what it's going to look like. It's a home game. It's against someone a bit rubbish. Obviously, this doesn't really relate to the Man City result, but it's against you know someone a bit rubbish. Someone they should win. Probably someone they should beat. Maybe two or three nil, and. It's going to involve like a little bit of a scrappy goal for the away team in the first half, and then like about an hour's worth of turgid football in which the ideas gradually drain away, the fans get really, really, really hacked off, and there's kind of this acceptance that it won't ever inform any sort of improvement. It's really weird, and I feel like that's a cross-era thing. Like that's, I saw that with obviously Marcus Silva, uh, Roberto Martinez had a few games like that. A really antagonize that that fan base um i'm with you like i can't i have to believe the problem is not with carlo Ancelotti. like i'm always going to side with the european cup winner this is jose Mourinho. um and <laughs> it's the culture of the club though right that's what the, that needs to change but how i mean it's 
the culture of Everton's embedded forever. They never get relegated, they never will, but they're never going to win anything. And it just takes a really special manager group of players to, to change all that. They have the manager, they have a good team, but yet the culture is still just, this will do, like that's good enough. I don't know. I wonder how you actually change culture, because I agree with you. I think there's a sort of, I think it's at certain clubs, and I include Tottenham in this, I think they're still kind of there. It's kind of okay to fail. Like it's 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 okay because you're only little old Tottenham, little little old Everton. It doesn't really matter. No one's going to, no one expects us to beat Man City, so it's okay just to be pumped five 0 by them. It's that, isn't it? How do you change that? Beyond, well, I don't, I, I don't know. Do you, are you changing portraits and pictures on the walls? Are you, you know, <laughs> like you you painting the dressing room orange? I'm, I like, I, I don't, I I know what it means, but I don't know any of the detail that it involves really. I mean, I. I I'm fascinated by this as well, and I did a lot of reading and talking to managers in my time at the Telegraph, and uh, I think there's good examples just from Scotland this season. So anyone, I mean, I'm sure not everyone that listens to this podcast ever watches Scottish football, but Rangers went from there's a whole long story with them, but basically Stephen Gerrard took them over and has managed to turn them into a team which has gone unbeaten, and it looked yeah. like they just couldn't touch Celtic because they were so far ahead, and he's done that by uh, a similar way to what I think happened at Aberdeen, who a team who were hugely successful in the 80s, did well in the 90s even. Sir Alex Ferguson was a manager in the 80s and uh, did well in the 90s. And then uh, had a little success period in the early 2000s and then just didn't do anything for years. Always finishing like lower mid-table, just nothing. And Derek McInnes's guy came in and what he did was uh, set like professional standards in, in the... the the club, I don't know how you, even things like the website improved. <laughs> like gen, genuinely, this stuff is all like, Aberdeen looks quite a professional looking club now. It wasn't all McInnes, it's a lot to the new chairman and stuff like that, to be specific. But these sorts of things came in. And then on the playing staff, rather than buying like um, a good defensive midfielder and uh, a really pacey winger who's very skillful, he'll do the job, he signed captains. So he signed like the captains from like Hamilton and Inverness, Caledonian Thistle. Not even amazing clubs, but the the ones who are the leaders who are desperate to win. And you put three, four, or five of those in the same dressing room, and that's like you breed the culture. And it's not the manager who drives the players on; it's each the, the players themselves that do it. And you look even at like that Michael Jordan documentary. Yeah. Well, the Red Bulls. Is the Red Bulls? Oh my God! The Chicago Bulls. Come on now, Monday. <laughs> hey, man. You know the sporting world is always shifting. Those plates are always moving. You never know. Like uh, Red Bull, maybe. I, Michael I, Jordan, Red Bull. It sounds like a thing it could happen. He's a uh, yeah. That that documentary that I can't remember the name of, whatever it was, it was brilliant. But that's the sort of thing you need. Last those... dance. Last dance. God, it was yeah. good, wasn't it? Yeah, it's great. Great. Just putting just putting in those characters, the leaders who want it more. And then you put them in the framework where the the manager knows is uh, knows the stuff, builds a system around the players, or introduces a system that he has time to build players to. I mean, the t- culture of a club is in, ingrained in a lot of them because it it's more than just the current team. It's the, all the staff who are there. It's the way like what you measure to be success and what you're happy to put up with. And I think, yeah, I, I see it in Rangers that that culture shift. They've gone from being one of the most successful clubs of all time and then being liquidated. And this version of Rangers, it's still Rangers, technically. That's a whole can of worms I shouldn't possibly go near. Uh, Rangers now have gone from being quite, like, it's quite funny. There's a thing called referred to the banter years. Is it's just, there's loads of really funny things that should never have happened. The manager got fired after 
having an argument with some fans outside while he was standing in a bush. Just weird stuff. Oh, and that was... Yeah, yeah God, that was funny as well. Excruciating. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now they're unbeaten. And that is a culture shift that has taken Steven Gerrard to recruit very wisely by buying wise players like Stephen Davis, not the best player, but so important to that kind of team. Uh, I can't name any players off my head that's now that's really done that, but it's more of them they put in and it's changed it. And that's, I mean, probably what Ancelotti has to do is change the culture of a club, but how do you do it at this near Super League billionaire playground? It's possible because the players that get you that level are either not good enough technically or they're um, too expensive. Like Ruben Diaz is not the most technically gifted player by any means, but he is like, immensely important to how Manchester City play, for example. I wonder if things like, because that's an interesting point about how you how you change things in this era. I wonder if things like new stadiums matter. Obviously, that's that's on Everton's horizon. Mm-hmm. Always think about, um, there was a, an anecdote about when Scott Sinclair joined Swansea, um, Swansea City. And I think he would, oh, yeah, I, I don't know whether he was coming directly from there, but he'd obviously kind of grown up in the Chelsea system or was, had been playing there. And he got to, I think, the Swansea City training ground and back then it was in pretty poor condition and it was, I think it was underwater that day or whatever. And he was just like, I don't want to be, I'll don't, tear up the contract, <laughs> set fire to it, I'm going to go. And he ended, up, he ended up going there and, and um, being very successful. And I wonder whether like there's, there's something to that environment because like you hear both sides of this. You hear, oh, it's a bit nice for them. Life's a bit comfortable, you know that those sleeping pods in that, you know, brand new training centre, bit, bit, bit nice, bit too good for players that haven't really achieved anything. Or you hear the other version of it, which is kind of, well, you know, if you're asking your, your first team to get changed in a porter cabin, like, you know, and, and fetch footballs from bushes or, you know, forests, then probably that's not inducive to a particularly impressive level of performance. Who's training in a forest? Like hey, that. but no, honestly, have you seen? Um, have you seen? I think it was last season or maybe the year before. A Borussia Dortmund went on went to a training camp in Austria, and it was in the middle of the forest. It just looked like paradise. You know, it was all sort of drizzly and cool and fresh, and it was right in the middle of the forest. There were just big, tall trees. You know, surrounding the pitch. And it was all secluded and great, and it just looked perfect. So it, it, it must happen. Um, there are forests around, like in, in Europe and in parts of England and Scotland, probably. Um, but it's like, I, th- these are very woolly things. Like, it's kind of like, oh, you know, fix the training ground and, you know, then we'll be able to beat West Brom at home. Like, it's just, like when, you, when you hear yourself say something like that, it doesn't sound very, very compelling or convincing. I think I saw that Newcastle, because they've not really updated their training no. ground in years. They have... Those ice baths, like the cryogenic chamber is a wheelie bin. (laughs) (laughs) Callum Wilson, welcome to the chamber. This (laughs) this looks an awful lot like a bin. Steve, this looks like a bin. No, no. Uh, This is the chamber. It's cutting edge technology. It's cutting edge technology. It's got an LED light on it. That's from a spokes of a bicycle. Get in the Someone's chamber. Got a different colour limb, you know, like a like a nice little sort of um, <laughs> nice, nice little lid on it. It's red, you know. It looks impressive. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I well, I didn't. You um, spent a bit of your weekend telling me how important it was for us to talk about Callum Davidson. Um, now, uh, listeners may know Callum Davidson from a video that's going around, which shows him diving and sliding through uh, his dressing room headfirst and hitting his head on a door jj <laughs> why is this why is this 
a, a uh, what who <laughs> talk to me about Callum Davidson? That's <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. Callum Davidson, who is sadly now dead after slamming his head into that door. Uh, people are trying to... I don't want to patronise anyone who knows an awful lot about Scottish football, but St Johnston aren't very good at the old football. Um, they're traditionally a team who would be battling against relegation or the, the best they're going to really hope for is mid-table. And if they have a nice little run in the Cups, that's good. They won the Scottish Cup a little while ago and that was um, a lovely day. Like it was, There's books written about it. Um, uh, our day in May, I think it was called, is the book written about it. Um, huge day for everyone. St. Johnson are from Perth, which is not a hugely exciting city either. Are they the club who play on the ground with, which has the double-decker bus behind one of the goals? Um, <laughs> it's a few of those. <laughs> no, it's uh, really it's it's it always comes up on like um, you know on goal compilations. There's there's that one Scottish ground where you know no one's really worked out what to do with the end of the ground. So there's like a a double decker bus part there which got a bit yeah. of advertising on it which one is that as a few goals i think that's hamilton is... hamilton okay. basically okay. like half the ground open there's okay. one you can see like a morrison's in the background it's so <laughs> so <laughs> shit <laughs> what the fuck it's very oxford united oxford united um uh. oxford when, when oxford united uh left the manor ground and uh relocated the kazam stadium the guy who um owned the club at the time Feroz kazam only built three sides to the stadium because he wasn't convinced that there was lo- enough local interest to justify a fourth stand. So at one end, there's just a fence, just a wooden fence at the end, oh, <laughs> car man, park I and a bowling that. arena. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. good. But like a lower league, it's quite funny. But when you've got like Sky Sports cameras there and the commentators referencing elite level football and Steven Gerrard's new reign, and then there's two lads sitting in, next to a bus, one's on a ladder, a watching over sausage it. Sausage yeah. roll, you know. Yeah. Oh, it makes it magical. And that's part of the reason that makes um, Callum Davidson just a wonderful person to talk about just now. Because he's gone from being, um, he was a footballer, decent in his day, I think he's left back like for Scotland. Yeah, he did, he? yeah. yeah. And uh, he was assistant at St. Johnston to Tommy Wright, who then left because he'd, I think he'd basically hit the glass ceiling with St. Johnston. They were never going to get above finishing seventh or anything like that. They just couldn't do it. There's a split in Scotland, so it splits into um, two halves of the table. And uh, that's kind of what happened to St. Johnston. And Davidson took over. No one knew what to expect. Didn't start very well. They, I don't have the numbers on top of my head, but they uh, didn't win very many games like, the first 10 or 15. And then all of a sudden something clicked and they've ended up winning a cup double. And they're the only team outside of Aberdeen back in the glory days of the like, 80s and 90s, Celtic and Rangers, to have done that. Um, and they're not even very good. And this thing, now everyone's going like, Callum Davidson is manager of the year. He's won two cups. And I think that's an interesting discussion point because... I wonder how much of it is momentum and how much of it is he is an actual uh, tactical genius. Because St. Johnson finished in the top six, huge achievement for them alone, and they won a cup double. They scored 36 goals in 38 games in the league, conceded 46. There's no... <laughs> a couple of players have come on a lot. And their their tactics are... They play a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 and have the overlapping centre-backs thing that was trending last year that Sheffield United used to do, remember? And uh, their assistant manager, it, was, it wasn't Chris Wilder that came up with that, it was Alan Nil. don't know if you knew that. That was an interesting conversation I had with him. And I, asked, I learned about overlapping centre-backs from Alan Nil, who then didn't want to didn't want to say anything about it. No, 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 but yeah, it was me, it was me. <laughs> you know what, the, the thing is, a lot, of the, a lot of the Sheffield United fans on Twitter are big Alan Nil fans. Like, mm. any time you... Um, obviously, Chris Wilder attracted a lot of praise last season. Not so much this season, but last season. Um, and 
anytime you anytime you you wrote about that or mentioned it on a podcast um very cheerfully and friendly in a friendly way you get a fan saying yeah but it's nil as well um his like that back three overlapping center back design is really interesting the other thing like alan nil's set pieces are brilliant like i know that's a bit of a nerdy thing to say but if you have mm. like um if you have a subscription to a Y Scout or, you know, something similar and you just watch a team's set pieces, you really get a feel for kind of some of the interesting things they do, like, you know, dragging a centre back this way or blocking someone like a um what's that thing in basketball when someone just gets in the way? What's that called? Uh screen. Setting a screen. Yeah. There, there's loads of little interesting things like that. So um there's there's something for everybody in, in Alan Nil football. Sorry, JJ, carry on with your Callum Davidson propaganda. I, I know. That. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know whether I mean I because we talked about Stephen Gerrard's culture change at Rangers, and I think to him to have won the league unbeaten is sure enough they they've got the most expensive squad and pay all the wages right they've got money to have helped that's certainly helped them, um, but to do it well is difficult and it's hugely impressive. But Davidson's won a double with a team of like Sean Rooney. This is weird as well. Um, Sean Rooney is a right wing back who couldn't even get in the team until Millwall recalled their right wing back halfway through the season. So Rooney got in the team. He scored the winning goal in the Scottish League Cup final in the 32nd minute, and he scored the winning goal in the Scottish Cup in the 32nd minute. Ooh. Oh. So, I don't yeah. know a more appropriate noise. Like, just, ooh. Okay. I don't really know what I hoped from you there. It was more than the ooh, but I think it was a cool stat. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that Davidson's got that. And the thing is now he'll be hyped up and there'll be yeah. clubs south of the border who start <laughs> who start looking at Davidson and be like, what what magic does he have? And he's probably, uh, yeah, I don't want to slag him off because it's a phenomenal achievement. I don't know what I'm doing, really. Yeah, I love the phrase south of the border as if England's kind of this sunlit uplands of the British Isles, like it's a kind of, you know, you know where, where management dreams come true. It's so patronising and like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's a, if I was Scottish, I think I'd hate it, absolutely hate it. Um, oh, interesting. I um, I was doing our pod plan last night and I remember thinking, I know what I'm going to ask JJ because, you know, why not? Who's your favourite Scottish player of all time? Oh, that's a really good question. I, th- I thought we'd like start to drum up the the... Anglo-Scottish rivalry ahead of the Euros. Favourite Scottish player? I mean, I'd probably... Uh, it's, it's more of an Aberdeen player. I love watching Ian Jess, but I think that's more just sort of local club bias. For actual Scotland, I mean, Colin Henry was so cool having him in the team. He was great. Uh, James McFadden, loved him. I, I'm, not, I'm not old enough to have watched Kenny Dalglish or Dennis Law or anything like that, no, so I don't know who the either. actual good players are. Uh, I think I'm very much not old enough to have seen those, just to be clear. Uh. <laughs> I, I actually have an in, in, in just, um anecdote. It involves me admitting to having read Barry Fry's autobiography, unfortunately. But alas, I did that at school. And apparently um, when Barry Fry was at Birmingham City, um, he took a forward on trial and there was like a... Ah, oh, I'm going to give this up because I can't remember exactly the details of it. It's going to be rambling and shit. But it involved Ian Jess kicking a very highly rated football league centre forward up in the air lots and lots and lots of times in trial match and uh, something happening after that. I mean, it's not a classic anecdote, is it? I don't really know but what then... the anecdote is. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll be honest. No, no, but I like it. I. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, though, in a way, like my rambling um, recollection of that kind of 
you know, kind of flatters me because it means that clearly I did not read Barry Fry's autobiography anytime recently. So it's been a long time and that works in my defense. And we shall move on from that, I think. Just, yeah. Let's just, available let's on Amazon now. Yeah, there are good bits in it, I think. There's a really good bit about a, a really good chapter about a character called Stan Flashman, who, if you know who that is, um, will, that will bring a smile to your face. If you don't, find out, because he's kind of like one of those roguish characters from the depths of non-league football from a different era. It's very, very this funny. This is a real person, because it very much sounds like a cartoon that has come to life. Or yeah, he's like that that kind of rip mail from Blackadder, but just like a you know a distant relative. Oh, man. Um, Love it. Yeah, he's not Captain Flashart, but he is Stan Flashman. Um, but yeah, find out about him. He's a, He was a ticket tout who... Um, who owned Barnet and yeah, it was just quite a funny character. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One of the notes you've left here in the, the plan is what next for Crystal Palace? Question mark. Why would Frank Lampard go to West Brom or Palace? Don't care as much about West Brom today because we will uh, handle that in another episode. Palace is a strange one because Roy Hodgson has left. He has um, called time on his on his on his tenure at Palace. And the last time Palace tried to make a kind of progressive move with a coaching appointment didn't go so well. <laughs> didn't go yeah. terrifically well with Frank de Boer. Like, what is next for them? And, and like, also, JJ, I don't really know what Frank Lampard is as a coach. <laughs> like, I, um, I can't make a case for him going anywhere because I still don't... Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? He's just a... Uh, I would absolutely understand. I don't think he did amazingly well at Derby, although it seems to have gone better than it has for since he's left. Um, I think at Chelsea... <sighs> it's really hard to be critical of Lampard having never seen his coaching sessions or ne like never been in the dressing room and knowing what he wants to do. But it looked like he wanted to play uh, quicker, quick football, get the ball from back to front really really quickly. And he wants, I think I've heard him say that. Um, he likes to be in the front foot. I think lazily we can assume he'd want to play like how a bit like Mourinho did with the 4-2-3-1 and um, trying to be compact, but also, uh, I was going to say razzle-dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Razzle-dazzle the opposition. What the hell is going on here? A weird thing Chelsea did when he had them was if they had, say, their front four of the 4-2-3-1, they'd have three three or four players on like the left side of the pitch of the attack and they'd, they'd focus play all there and they'd have one turn up randomly kind of spaced out. So of, of a front three, you'd have the one, the two and the striker would be sort of equally spaced, say five metres apart. And then you'd have the third... What the hell am I talking about? Uh, slightly further away. This isn't your best away. segment, JJ. Like no. I, I feel... <laughs> uh, it's a long weekend. 
And he's like, we, so further away. He had, he had some tactics that didn't really make much sense. And you saw them get opened up time and time again in the counter. There was no real control, I thought, of games. And uh, I think <laughs> you need to have some of that. Callum Davidson has control. You put him in charge of Crystal Palace and they will finish 12th every year, baby. So maybe that's what you want. But Lampard, I think worse than Palace putting him in, it's more for what Lampard's going to do. Because he's not really won anything or proven that he can do any more than sort of reaching that sort of limit of where Derby and Chelsea got. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, because also, like, there are so many caveats. Like, I, the Derby team did quite well and they had that very impressive win against Leeds in the playoff semi-final. Although that felt a lot more about Leeds than it did about them. And it depended on Mason Mount. And then in the final, yeah. they were absolutely atrocious against Villa. Um, really disappointing. And then Chelsea, there are impressive moments to, to Lampard's reign at Chelsea. But then there are just as many really ugly results and performances. And it becomes a zero-sum game. So what you're left with is just a very neutral perspective on Frank Lampard. It's very, very hard to judge judge him for, you know, and also because, yeah, let's be fair, he had such a wonderful playing career and achieved so much that it's very, very difficult to step out of that shadow. But if he now goes to a club like um, Palace or someone who you'd never get really going to win anything with, I think it, it probably is a big detriment to his upwards career path he wants to take where he'd want to manage the likes of Chelsea again. So you can't yeah. really go up again. And the only real option, uh, I think, from having... That all this sort of stuff fascinates me. Like, how come certain managers get big jobs, and win trophies when, like, Marco Silva's won trophies? You know, is he that good? I don't know. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Lampard, he needs to go probably abroad or even to somewhere like Celtic if they would take him because he can win trophies. And once you've proven you can win trophies, when you've got the platform to do it, say like Olympiacos or something like that, you know, so you, you can choose you prove you've got the ta- talent to turn a team into someone that wins stuff. Because certain managers go in and they don't. Like, we'll surely talk about it. Pirlo at Juventus, is he a good manager? Maybe you can tell me. But, you know, they fell off dramatically. Is it because they're not a good enough manager? Is it too much of a culture shift when you put them in at a certain time? Do they need to go somewhere else to learn how to make mistakes first before you go in? A lot of these good managers took on the reserves and made all their mistakes first. Yeah, I, I, I like the taking the reserves first approach. Like, um, I wonder whether... Once you if, you, if you have a job at somewhere like Chelsea really early in your career before people think you're ready, uh, there's that excuse when things go wrong, be like, yeah, well, it might come round again. I feel like I think that's a little bit of a false economy because I think that what, what ends up happening is that someone like Frank Lampard, like, I agree with you, I think he should go abroad. I think he should go and, I don't know, um, a coach in the you know Spanish second division or, you know, you know, go to Belgium or something or whatever, like, and, and just go and coach, go and be a coach where, you know, people aren't quite as interested, where you're not managing, you know, um, Frank Lampard's Anderlecht, you're just managing Anderlecht. And there is a big difference between those two things. Nevertheless, like, when you achieve something, there's always going to be somebody that says, yeah, but Chelsea, you know, do you remember what happened then? And there's always going to be this kind of cloud over a reputation. Oh, yeah. Solskjaer at Cardiff, same thing. Yeah. Solskjaer at Cardiff, exactly the same. Like, and I, you just wonder whether, I, I don't know how many how many goes around you have before the kind of bright young thing, you know, it's going to be better in the future thing starts to, starts to change. And you, you become reclassified as um guy who belongs at mid-level club. It's, it's a really difficult thing. I, I think it's an underappreciated part of a managerial career because you... Mm-hmm. You have to balance your decisions so well because it isn't just a meritocracy. No, there's nothing. Nothing can be further from the truth. You don't get what you deserve just by 
going to a um you know going somewhere and winning things in an unfashionable league you, you just you you kind of that can work against you too yeah i i completely agree it's a it's why you get a lot of um of these dastardly foreigners who come into the Premier League <laughs> in place of the English guys, but because they've proven that they can win things and and meet real targets under difficult circumstances, and also, I mean, sure enough, Lampard's done the same coaching career path that many coaches will have done. But you look at like Brendan Rodgers. So Lampard's forty two now, and you're considered a young manager. I think up until you're about forty six, then you're not anymore. Yeah. Um, there's some sort of cut off. Brendan Rodgers is 48. Still thought of as a young manager, but he was coaching. People stopped like, looking up his age on Wikipedia. That's what yeah, I'm, yeah. It's, it's a Jesse Lingard yeah. situation, just with managers. Well, something like that. But then he's had like 20 years of coaching experience at all levels. Like he's managed coaches, he's coached kids right through to that. Lampard will done that for a couple of years, but he's had so much high level playing experience that you think it would learn. Anything. But it's just not the same thing. Like you might be the very best at um, writing novels but it doesn't mean you can teach someone how to do it. it it really is a different skill and you can learn that skill by doing all your coaching courses and spending time doing it but it's entirely different discipline yeah, but it's like saying oh because you've read all of john grisham's work you could write a john grisham book it's the same principle isn't it you just like oh yeah. I, I spent a lot of time around around the discipline in a way but if you look at Sort of, if you look at the coaches, if you look at the coaching trees of, oof, uh, well, the obvious one, Alex Ferguson. Right, how many really, really good coaches has he bred? Not very many. You know, it's not, it's not the same thing. Mourinho's kind of the same. Mourinho hasn't, um, like, I suppose the obvious one is Andre Villas-Boas. He's another one that fits into your kind of into your um, guy who's won an awful lot or did win an awful lot early in his career, but. I still don't really know how good he is. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't, like Andre Villas-Boas. Andre Villas-Boas, like, I, I think it was, I think it might have been Roy Smith on Twitter. He said he's kind of, he's run his managerial career um, along the lines of which parts of the world he wants to live in and what he wants to see. <laughs> it's just like, so he's done, he's done London, um, Marseille, Porto, obviously, um, spent a bit of time in St. Petersburg. He's just crossed the continent to just, experience different things it's like a because he has a slightly laissez-faire attitude towards his own career progression it's as if okay fine you just you just you, just, you kind of take him out of the equation and just let him get on with it and now he's he's um i think he's taking part in the world rally championship in somewhere which is just okay fine yeah it's in portugal yeah i love it Okay, we're running out of time, so we're going to cover some ground quite quickly. First up in France, where Lille are champions. Um, if you want to know how and why, then drop in on Alex's video on the channel. And the um, TIFO YouTube channel will soon be supplemented by a second channel. JJ, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to. It's really exciting. So we just, it's really exciting. We just launched it today. We're recording this on yeah. a Monday, so Tuesday. And ever listen to the podcast, it's called TIFO IRL. And it's just TIFO, but in real life, that's the we're using internet acronyms because we are yeah. cool, and um, <laughs> and <we've> young, got, <laughs> yeah, really young and hip, and super fresh. And we've got this tactics board built, and it's just oh my god, like I cannot tell you how much fun it is using it. So me it's and Alex cool. have been doing these videos. Uh, we're going to do heaps during the Euros and everything. But we've got, um, so you, you've seen uh, Alex one in Lille is, is superb. He's done. Um, it's so detailed and all the tactics how they've worked that. I did one on, I can't remember what my first one was, but I've got one on Trent Alexander-Arnold, which has just come out. You did one um, on Arsenal and they're attacking that's what I did. Donut. Yeah. That was it. 
Uh, and then we're going to have like a Champions League preview and a Europa League preview coming out. It's just really exciting to have it. And the channel is up now and you can subscribe to it. And uh, we'd love it if you did, because there's going to be lots of cool stuff. There's going to be loads of cool stuff, particularly during the Euros. It's going to be um, it's going to be a really really exciting time. We we hope you enjoy it. And the little thing was the little thing was great. I you know we we talked about them quite a lot over the last few weeks. Um, uh, want to uh, highlight Jonathan David's performance because he played really really well uh, against Angers on Sunday night, and he kind of provided the the cutting edge that they didn't have uh, the week before. Made a good run for the penalty, took his goal really nicely. Really, I, I don't know if you saw this, it was a really strange moment. So basically, um, this was uh, coach Christophe Gautier's first league championship. He won a, a league cup uh, about 10 years ago, but it's his first league success. Um, and he's off to Nice, apparently. The um, the here we go guy is reporting that. Um, but it's really strange because this story seemed to leak over the weekend. So the Lille played on... Um, they played their decisive game at nine o'clock uh, European time on Sunday night. And this story was around from around Saturday lunchtime. It's like, why would you leak this, Nice? Like, you've got you've got probably a one-off fixture that's going to be... I, I'd be very surprised, hopefully they do, but I'd be very surprised if Lille were able to repeat the success in, um, you know, in the future. So you've got a coach who's leaving, and you've got a story out there about his leaving hours before a game like that that's such a that's, that's a terrible job from somebody because like, not to scream to you of sabotage someone mischievous at psg saying yeah you know what he's he's off to it's like the um do you know the do you remember the the um the first series of friday night lights um where they go to the national title game and the night before when they're in the hotel in dallas uh there's a, a story that comes out because the coach is leaving them and all these uh, these young players feel terribly betrayed and there's a crisis and you know you know will they will they will they play one more game for him and it's it's very much that um, mm-hmm. and yeah very very strange one um, in Italy uh, don't care about any of that because uh, Juventus managed to get into the Champions League and ruin everything <laughs> for everybody well done Napoli for not beating Verona I hope you're proud of yourself you you just never get what you want in football do you like the thing that you when when the football universe works out that you've kind of cottoned on to a desire and you you're kind of living vicariously through something it just snatches it away that's football like if you're like a if you're a fan of real madrid probably not but like for most of most of us it's that's that's the kind of that's the existence isn't it hope 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 no that yeah and it drags you in it's like a one of those what do you call them the, what are the machines in, in a pub? A puggy? What do they call them? What do you call the buttons? Fruit machine. Fruit machine. Yeah. There we go. This has been a tough Monday. But like it's like a fruit machine, and then you keep trying again and again, but there's no real way to ever get what you truly want. Sometimes it'll give you it, and it'll make you think it'll do it again, but it won't. If you just put in another pound coin, you know, or give it another season, or invest yourself a little bit more, then eventually you'll get something in return, and it'll make you feel happy. But we it never, ever does. That is a really good moment to finish the podcast. And then a nice sort of cheerful ellipsis for a Monday morning. JJ, thank you very, very much. Uh, thank you. I think we can mention that Atletico Madrid won the league, but then we're done now. Yeah, they did. And congratulations, Demo. <laughs> there's also there's a little bit of a hidden moment in that before we um, before we do go. So um, everyone will have seen it because this will only release on a Tuesday. And so I'm sure lots of people will have uh, covered this already. But um, if you watch the second Atletico goal... Um, when Luis Suarez is, is running in, if you watch it from the angle behind the goal and keep your eyes on Marcus Llorente, because he does that thing where like, one of your teammates runs through on goal and he's got like 50 yards to go 
And you think, nah, I'm not going to catch him, so I'm just going to stand here and shout encouragement. <laughs> he does that. It's great. You, you can see him going, go on, Luis, go on. Um, so, uh, yeah, have a look out for that. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Athletic.